Hello, welcome reader. I'm Alex. I'm Kelly. And this is the Lit Joy Podcast. Today we are talking about, I would say it's a topic we're passionate about in just our fun, casual conversation. So Kelly and I love seeing book to movie adaptations or book to series adaptations. Yes. Guilty. Guilty. And I think (laughs) many people also do, but I don't think as many people read the book before they see the movie. So there are more movie viewers by like hundreds of millions than Mm -hmm. there are avid readers. Yes. And so tell me, do you fall? I kind of fall in the category where if it was a book to movie, I feel a little bit of like internal pressure to read the book before I see the movie. Oh, yeah. I don't know if I feel as much pressure now because I feel like just about everything is being adapted from a a book. Um, But originally, originally meaning like, you know. 15 years ago, when it started, I feel like I was always reading the books first. It felt like the homework, you know, that I had to do before. Like the party, before the party. Yeah. And um, my mind just went blank, but it was, oh, you know what you were just saying about not as many people um, read the books before they watch the movie. I feel like this was kind of proven when we went to LeakyCon. Yes. Now, LeakyCon is a conference for Harry Potter specific fans for yes. all that all that entails the actors from the movies come people dress up there's people selling things that are harry potter based so we went of course we were geeking out um we've we've been twice and we were shocked to find that like what eight out of ten people we kind of talked to had never read the books it was so like it was so culturally enlightening yeah because when people came to our like our booth and everything they would ask we would ask them like what's your favorite book and they'd be like, oh, I, and they were kind of embarrassed. Yeah. And then we kind of just stopped asking after a few hours because they're like, oh, I didn't read the books. I just watched the movie, like love the movies. Yeah. And I'm all, oh, oh, I'm like, they're missing out on such a more enriched experience mm-hmm. because the books, you just have so much more space in a book to explore things. There can be side quests. Like side quests in a movie, that's bad editing. (laughs) You know what I mean? Or it should have been a TV series. Side quests in your your book is like, yes, backstory. Yeah. You know? And especially with Harry Potter, like they had to cut out so many of those little side quests and tangents and extra characters and who did what. And the movies are fabulous on their own. The books are great on their own. But when you compare those two, there's definitely, it starts to deviate around book four, I'd say the most. That's where everyone's like, what happened at book four? I mean... (laughs) Obviously, we lost our Dumbledore. I know. So that made a huge impact. And then, you know, they just had to start carving out more and more of the book story well, the books got because longer. they got longer and longer. Yeah. And that's when I'm like, you don't, don't do that. Okay. Like, do what you did with The Hobbit over here. Like <laughs> Take make, a little book. <laughs> make each book three movies. <laughs> and really span it out. <laughs> so, and these aren't like... We didn't want to just do like good and bad on the book to movie adoptions. I feel like they all kind of have their good and bad moments. For sure. A lot of them. So we're going to kind of go through some of our, oh, oh, it's our top, just the ones that kind of came to mind when yes. we were thinking about this episode. And we're just going to kind of talk through it all. Yeah. Well, first of all, since we brought up Harry Potter, I think we can do Harry Potter right now. Let's do it. And then we can move into obviously Twilight. <laughs> I am immediately, <laughs> I was like, it was like, yes. Immediately Twilight. <laughs> okay. So with Harry Potter, I'm like, what character or moment were you... Because I loved the movies and I loved the books and just how you don't love every single book in a series equally. I feel like the movies did the same thing for me. I didn't love every single movie equally. Yeah. 
But was there a character or a part of the book that was left out in the movies that you were like, dang it, like they couldn't capture that or they cut that character? I do. Yes. Okay. So for me, which not for the reasons that everyone's probably going to think, the fourth book, the fourth movie, that was my favorite book in the series. Yes. And also my probably my, one of my least favorite movies of the series uh, because of that was like a huge deviation from the book in so many ways. Uh, Dumbledore was obviously misrepresented, I feel like, in just his energy level. It just brought a lot of energy. More passion, more footwork, more energy. When he was the <laughs> famous line everyone talks about, like, Heritage, put your name in the couple of You know, in the book, it's always like, and Dumbledore very calmly asked Harry, did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire? You know, and so he I just like remember grabs him by the shirt. It was like he like assaulted Harry. And I just remember in the audience, everyone was kind of like, ah, like physically, like almost pushed back when that moment because it, it was he came in so hot, you know. And I just remember <laughs> being like, nope, don't like this. Nope, nope. This is a fail, you know, and they had to change a lot of things about like um, they used Neville instead of Dobby. Uh, and who helped him solve certain things. They had to cut out a bunch of characters. They kind of cut out a lot of Dobby's story, actually. Um, Winky doesn't, like, exist. Oh, yeah. The whole spew (laughs) thing. Spew didn't happen. There might have been a small spew Easter egg, like a button or something somewhere. I can't remember. Yeah. But spew was, that was a bummer because the whole house elf situation with Hermione was so charming in the book where she was just desperately trying to free all the house elves. And they were just like, we like being enslaved to Hogwarts. <laughs> this is where we want to be. Don't make us think. They're like, don't take away our purpose. <laughs> exactly. And she's like, but you could be free. And they're all, no. <laughs> oh my gosh. There's just so many little stories like that. Yeah. Like that they had to cut for time that really add to the characters. I know. And who they are. Like we all know Ginny kind of got the short end of the stick, I feel like, in yes. her character being represented. She's so badass in the books. Yes. She was all right. And their first kiss was so much better in the books. So, uh, like, freaking we, awkward in the Yeah. Movie. Like, a room of requirement, awkward, silent kiss was weird. In the movie or in the books, like, she wins the Quidditch Cup or something. And, like, they're all celebrating in the middle of the Gryffindor house. And then they, like, make out mm. as, like, their first kiss. And you're all, well, that was cool. It was awesome. It was, like, very, like, yeah. Pow, pow. Because she had to, I think in the books, I'm like, spoiler, they've been out for 25 years. Read them. Yeah. <laughs> but I think she she actually had to play the uh, seeker in that game. Yeah. Didn't she? Yeah. yeah. For some, there were reasons why Harry couldn't be the seeker in that game. And so, yeah, I mean, it was, it was cool. It was like way more badass. I know. It kind of reminds me of like Zendaya and Tom Holland. It was just like <laughs> power couple. <laughs> oh, they really are. That's amazing. I know. There's just, I mean, there's a million little things like that throughout the whole series where they had to make switches and changes. But for me, the biggest letdown of the movies was just that you don't get the depth of their experience yes. because that's what made it feel so real. Yes. At Hogwarts, um, growing up as an adolescent, learning magic for the first time and all the ins and outs that that entails and their little love stories. You know, we don't get to enjoy those tea was it the tea shop moments where they yes. Valentine's and they have the awkward moments where they have the crushes and like their group date oh is so awkward. I think my the thing about Harry Potter that I was sad they couldn't capture as much is just how much J.K. Rowling took you into the world of Christmas and Halloween at mm. Hogwarts. But I get it. I'm like, I totally get it. Those so, were some of the best chapters. Like the Halloween. And they do a couple moments in like the Great Hall 
But there was something about every single book made sure to give you a Christmas and a Halloween. And I just love that time of year and think it's really magical in general. So I don't know. It's an, it's a, it is a book that definitely has changed. It has made history. Yeah. Uh, and just its success and how pervasive it is. It's the only book series that has multiple theme parks made for just the book series. I know. So it's incredible. Yeah. I'm like, I know Harry Potter is a polar. It's always been a polarizing series from the very first time book one came out. There was protests against it. Mm. And now there's still protests against it. And it's a fascinating part of human history. So I know it's banned in so many schools still. I think it's the most banned book because it can inspire witchcraft. And but it's also banned because it's not inclusive enough. And so it's just I'm like, no matter oh, where yeah. you fall on the spectrum um, of your feelings about it, I think one thing that's like undeniable about the books and the films is that they have done something that no other book series has been able to do. And so. I don't know. It's from a psychology perspective. It is so interesting to watch Harry oh. Potter culture. I know we've talked about that too, where I'm just like, I, I'm so grateful for the series. And I know that sometimes there's controversy around the author, but nothing that I can think of has made such a big wave in getting people to read. Yeah. And it, that's what I cared about, right? Yeah. Like getting people to read, youth to read again. I feel like that was... The youth. Oh my gosh. The youth. I'm all. No, it's true though. Like, um, I think a book, picking up a book is kind of like a gateway to other books. Mm-hmm. And so just as she inspired this, our whole generation to become avid readers, yeah. I'm like, that is a good thing that can come from a controversial thing. And so yeah. it's like important, I think, as humans to have this. I guess openness to taking good and bad and understanding that it's complicated, but that reading is a gateway to lots of different people and lots of different opinions. And speaking of gateway, here's my segue. I feel like Harry Potter was like the gateway to Twilight. Oh, man. Like everyone, all these millennials, we all wrapped up Harry Potter and we're like, what now? And Stephanie Myers is like, I'll take I hail from BYU, Provo, Utah <laughs> to bring you Twilight. <laughs> Um, we have to talk about twilight how did you feel the first time you saw the first movie not how you feel now how did you feel the first time you saw the first movie yeah so it was so fascinating i had started my book club at this point it'd been going for a little while and i remember when twilight hit the scene vampires were so not a thing at the time like no. anything supernatural paranormal was like not on point at the at this time if i remember dystopian was really like what everyone was like buying it was much oh, more yeah. fantasy and dystopian and i remember yes. someone going oh my gosh have you read this book about vampires and i'm like ew no like <laughs> i remember being almost like repelled by the idea of a vampire book because it was just so cheesy in my head mm-hmm. and then it just started popping up everywhere and so for my book club we were like fine let's read this jane twilight book you know and then of course it was immediate like catnip for all of us women yeah. we were just like oh my gosh what team are we on team jacob team edward and just talking back and forth and we started having book clubs for each individual one making it a huge thing so I say that because it really built up my expectation of everything. And it was such a fun series to read with other women in my book club and to talk about. 
And my husband and I started getting into reading it together because he's like, you literally haven't left the couch all day. What are you reading? And I was like, new moon. I got to find out what happens. And I like (laughs) didn't move for eight hours. And so he picked up Twilight and we just started reading it. And it felt like it was another like phenomenon bringing in this new wave of, you know, paranormal. But so when the movie came out, I was very hyped because we had spent so much time reading and talking about these books, picking our teams, all that stuff. And I got to go to the premiere of the the first movie and filled in the audience. You know, we're there at like 10 p.m. at night because it comes out officially the next day. Right. I remember when they used to do that with movies. I know. And I did it with some Harry Potter movies too. It was so fun that way because the, the energy, right? And I loved it. Here's what's crazy. I loved the movie when I first saw it. And I think it's because... I was in a drought of like nothing to compare it to. Totally. And it was so incredible at the time to see a book you were currently reading being made into a movie. Yes. Like that didn't happen. It was always like years later, if you were lucky, you might see it adapted when it was always like never the same as the book. And they pretty close stuck to the book. Yes. That's kind of the thing I always tell the critics. Yeah. Because I'm like, it's the book. (laughs) And so I say, I think the collective experience of all of that made me love the movie. And yes, it was a very shoestring budget. <laughs> there was a few moments I still was like, I'll let that one slide, you know, like, because yeah. I was so excited. Like Carlisle's like makeup, like his like Halloween makeup line. <laughs> <laughs> there was a few things I couldn't get past, like the running in the woods. I was always like, okay, they could have <laughs> this done that better in so many ways. And the sparkling, like they definitely got better as the movies got more money, yeah, more budget. But there was something so charming too about just that original one. Yeah. Where I felt like, um, you know, the director, oh, I can't remember her name, but. Uh, well, yeah. At the time, she broke like records. Yeah. For like sales, for like a female directed movie. I feel like she got a lot of things right. And it was very artsy in that way and really organic. And then there were parts where I'm like, I'll just look away. <laughs> yeah. I love the part where it's like, like, din, 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 and like the colons, like. Like walk in and it's like a superhero. When they walk into the cafeteria the first time, it's almost ridiculous because it was almost like they were on some moving like runway. Yes. It's like their hair's blowing. <laughs> and then the time at the baseball field, that was the other time I was like, just look away. When the bad vampires come into town and they legit were on a moving like red carpet. Kind yes. Of a thing. It was like a rug covered in leaves <laughs> on like a pulley. And they're like, pulling it there. So they're walking so fast. Behind the scenes of Twilight is worth a Google. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like there's just a few things where I'm all, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but still it's a watch once a year series for us. I literally watched every year. And oh. now I laugh so hard when I watch that first movie, like the joy I get out of making fun of it. But at the time I was just so delighted. I know. Were you kind of the same? Okay. I was younger. I am younger. I don't know this if you know this. <laughs> So I was reading them as they were coming out and I was in high school. Mm. And so I think the final two came out when I was in college. And so I wasn't going because my junior and senior year of high school was in Monticello, Utah. um, They didn't have a consistent movie theater. And so I think I did see movie two or movie three. We ended up driving to a movie theater that had kind of opened up close enough. And so I saw that one in the theater. The other two, I had to wait until they were on DVD. So it was just kind of like, un- like how old? Ah. I was like, it was kind of less of a formative experience, movie one and two. Mm-hmm. But like by three and four, I was like fully invested in going to the theater because um, I was up in Provo and I could go to see it. Gotcha. So, Yeah. 
it's definitely, I think it made my experience even better. Oh yeah. You were like with your people too. being in there with everybody. I just, it was always an audience full of literally 99% women. Yeah. Like in the early twenties. And I was like, yes. you hit your demographic. This is great. Um, but I will never forget the last movie, you know, part two. Yes. Breaking Dawn. When they changed the fight scene at the end, um, they, that's like one of the times they really strayed from the book because yes. Stephanie's version of it was way less cinematic, exciting. It's a little those. anticlimactic. It's kind of like, and blah. And in the movies, they're like, let's mess with them a little bit more. And I actually thought, I appreciated the movie actually. Yeah. I thought they did a better job in yeah, dealing I with that. that. I thought that in a few movies. So yes. But when they changed it and made it seem like everyone was dying and, you know, sorry, spoiler again, it's been out for a while. But in the fight scene, you know, all the vampires are going against the... Um, the Volturi? I almost said Illuminati. Wow. Uh, the Volturi. The, both. <laughs> Volturi. They're all coming together, you know. Against the gangs of New York. And you're just watching all your favorite characters' heads get ripped off and like fall into these pits. Awesome. And I was just like... Oh my gosh. You know, I was having that moment and I'm looking around and it was like that mean girls moment where there's just like chaos (laughs) and animals, like everyone's just freaking out. Like I heard so many swear words. Women women were standing up and booing and everyone was freaking out. And then you get like, you get the end where Alice is just showing what the future could be. And everyone's like, oh, (laughs) there were people weeping. Like, (laughs) weeping they were so upset and i was just like the power of storytelling here you know (laughs) i was just like this is incredible and this is that's how i feel about books so to see people when they act like that in a movie i'm just like you guys don't even understand there's so many other ways and avenues to feel this way and it was incredible it was like one of my favorite movie moments just that's awesome that's like core memory right there it was hilarious and but with harry potter in the theaters did you ever experience that same kind of you know, collective experience. Yeah. So I read Harry Potter. I was the same age as the actors. And oh, so that's fun. So like as the movies are coming out, I was there. So I like actually sent in a film of myself to audition for Hermione because like they were caught. They did, open, did. But yeah, because I was her age. I didn't know. That. And so um, but I had to do like a fake British accent. And I was like, clearly <laughs> I was not the hire for that role. You should have done Luna. And they didn't call for Luna. Ah, they just they they only categorized it as Harry, Ron, and Hermione. Mm. Um, and then I think Luna's story, how she was hired, was a really beautiful story. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I I knowing myself now as an adult, I'm all I don't want to be an actor. Like that's <laughs> not my genius. But as a little eleven year old kid, you're like, yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> and so I got to grow up with the actors as the movies are coming out. Mm. The books, I actually picked up my first copy of Harry Potter. It was on one of those traveling library carts. So you know how there's like some libraries, um, especially like elementary school or smaller schools have traveling libraries where they books get shipped from school to school to school for kids to read for the first time. And it's all the new releases. So libraries who can't afford to buy all the new releases every time. And so it came through on rotation and book one came through and I read it and I couldn't find book two. And so my parents bought me book two, three, four. And then my dad got way into them. And then um, there was like a woman who was part of my church congregation. Her and her kids got into them. So we had like a community of like eight copies of each book that was just like being passed around. That's cool. And so I read all the Harry Potter books um, like first and then passed them off to like my dad to read. And so that's kind of how I experienced them. And then, like, really getting into the fair Harry Potter, like, fandom base, that was more after I was an adult enjoying book club and everything. Mm-hmm. So, 
Did you see the movies as they came out? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, um I mean, you were you were younger too. It sounds like so. I didn't know, but they didn't put the movies out for several years, right? Yes, I I didn't go to any like midnight release party because yeah. I was a kid. Yeah, and so that wasn't an option. But I do remember waiting in line at midnight to get books. I think I waited in line for book five and six at night so I could get it right when it came out. So I did do that thing like in line at Barnes and Noble kind of a thing. And I remember when they used to have books. They don't really do that anymore. I know. Like because you pre-order online everything. And so there was like this like camping out. You know how people like camp out for an iPhone? Yeah. Maybe the the churns will understand what that means. <laughs> oh, the children. <laughs> but like it was there was no ordering online. You just like wait and hope that Barnes and Noble had enough. Yeah. You're like praying to the book gods, like, please. Yeah. Oh, it was. It was so crazy. I remember those times. People literally were setting up their tents yeah. for days to be like one of the first people to grab their copies. Yes. And that's where I'm like, eh, I mean, it's better now. You don't have to do that. It was always cold, I feel like, and um, like a winter month when it would happen. And so I'm like, it's great. I just order online. And it comes to me. I don't have to stress. Oh, yeah. But there's something to it as well. Like that's what built the fandom, obviously. Yeah. People were just like making friends in line. Everyone felt this camaraderie. And I remember because I went to all of them premieres that's amazing <laughs> and i was like it's like my first year of college watching the first movie i mean man the pressure had to have been so high for that series right and i feel like um director columbus right uh, yeah christopher columbus i always like second guess that's actually his name i'm like that can't be right <laughs> no yeah so he the director you know he did the first i think three films um i thought he did i want to talk about the good things in harry potter because i'm like i think he nailed the first one Yes. Like, it was like exactly like the second I heard the theme music play. It was like perfect. I had chills and I started weeping. And I was like, it's exactly what I imagined I would sound like. And I didn't even yeah. know I had the expectation. And just the charm and the innocence and kind of more the childlike uh, perspective yeah. of the first movie I thought was perfect. And then fast forward, the last movie, Deathly Hollows, yeah. part two, because they broke it up. Because part one was, it's fine. It's uh, a whole thing. It's but part two, I remember also sitting in the theater for that one on the premiere day. I had made butterbeer cupcakes, brought them for friends. I had a whole like treat bag of things. And I was curating. <laughs> and um, I just remember they took a few, you know, artistic liberties, I feel like, with how they represented. And again, I feel like in the movie, how Voldemort and Harry, their final fight scene and how Voldemort dies and all of that. Um, Voldemort dies? Spoiler. <laughs> I just felt like it actually was a better experience than the book. In yes. The, in the book, it was a little like sudden. It's more cinematic is and really what it is, I think. I don't know if I'll ever forget that moment where it's just quiet. Like the music almost went completely silent. It's just this really soft sound. And you see the pieces of Voldemort floating away. Yeah. Those little like little pieces of like ash almost. And I was just sweeping again. And I was like, what? It was like yeah. this full circle thing. I actually, that unlocked a memory. So when I was reading book six and I came into my parents' bedroom at like 1130 at night and I'm just fully snot nose crying <laughs> and I'm like, Dumbledore dies. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and my parents are like, just burst out laughing. They like couldn't handle, oh. like they weren't unkind. They were just like, I think that they thought something that had actually happened in the real world. Yeah. Like, had like gone wrong. In? Yeah. Like, what's going on? Who, like, why are you so upset? 
you know, and then when I told them Dumbledore dies, I think that they were like relieved. Yeah. But I remember that core memory. <laughs> like, oh, Dumbledore yes. dies. I mean, and be honest, how many of us were like, oh, no, there's a secret happening. He's going to come yes. back. I totally thought that. He's magical. This is a magical world. No way. I thought that, but it makes sense. You have to have stakes. Yes. It's like, I'm a big believer in stakes. And in fact, if I ever read a book, half my characters will die. Just prepare yourself. (laughs) (laughs) But the thing is, I mean, I thought it was the right way to do it from a literary perspective. But I've only experienced a book hangover that bad twice. Once when Dumbledore died and the book ended, huge book hangover, like weeks. Yeah. And the second one was when I finished Hunger Games that one finishing the final book of hunger games i kind of was in like a depressed fog for like a solid few weeks oh yeah it totally i like wept on an airplane reading the final book i was like you know an adult like me and my mom were going on a trip and i felt so bad because i'm like in the air airport and on the airplane just like weeping (laughs) and i'm like the let's talk about hunger games book to movie adaptation yeah did to do that also we read each one of those books once a year for my yep. book club. And so when we got to the final book, it was a very controversial discussion. Just everyone had very, very mixed feelings about how that book ended. And I, to this day, firmly believe that it ended the way it needed to. But we yeah. absolutely had people who felt otherwise. And I was mm-hmm. just like, guys, this is war. This is, this is as honest as a book could be if war is involved, in my opinion, with yes. how she set up the world. Yeah. It. It's not going to end pretty. It's not going to be perfect. Like, that's not this perfectly happy ending. Yep. But there were people so angry about how it ended. And they thought it could end ended better, happier, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like... Stakes. The stakes have to be high this. enough. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think? I loved both. I think I still think that Hunger Games is one of the best dystopian series ever written. Mm-hmm. Um, I think categorizing it as young adult totally makes sense. But also maybe stopped some people from reading it when I feel like I thought that they were a it was a beautiful series for presenting dystopian questions the only other books that I've ever felt have done that for me have been Fahrenheit 451 and uh probably like Handmaid's Tale Handmaid's Tale maybe so like classic and modern classics yeah I thought it illustrated uh while it's not the while it does kind of soften some of the edges and like explaining logistics that you might see in more of adult fiction, mm-hmm. it reminded me kind of of how Scythe also did it. The um, Neil yes. Schusterman Scythe, it just presents an interesting question. Like what would happen if this was the future of the world? If these were factions, if this group of people had all the power and it makes you think about human behavior and mm-hmm. like, what would you go along with? How far would you go? And so I loved the books. Dystopian was really what got me into reading. And so it felt very yeah. much like a hearkening to like The Giver and that experience and Gathering yeah. Blue. So the books were, I read them as they came out from my school library. And they were, and then into college, yes. And they were um, beautiful books. Mm-hmm. And then I thought they did so good in the series. I I know that people... Like the, the movie series? The movie series. Okay. Yeah, sorry. I thought they did so good in the movie series. Yeah. I loved the final two films. I felt like they did such a good job of representing the cost of war. Yeah. And I also felt like they did a good job of making it more cinematic. So there was a few scenes that I thought were really pivotal that they added to the final film mm. that I think made a big difference. One of them was um, 
there was, they started to show all the different factions uprising against the capital. And so they you mean like the different districts? districts. Yeah. Like, okay. It's like, I, that was divergent for a minute there. So, oh, sorry. The different districts. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. There were like rebels within each district. Yeah. Yeah. And there were ones like the scene where they have everyone climbing up the trees and setting the bombs and like kind of almost like a suicide, potential suicide situation. I just, I thought that it was, it it just did such a good job of showing how desperate people get when you take away their human rights. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I was, it was good. Like chills. Good. Yeah. And I loved the way they represented the Capitol. Yes. I mean, it was, it feels like obviously super exaggerated, but at the same time, it it felt in place in world, just having this extremely rich, privileged, you know, we're the capital, everything's excessive, bright, big, how else can we add cosmetic surgery? I don't even know what they called it. They had just like every possible advancement in the capital, right? And everyone else is struggling. Yep. For the most part, every other uh, district was like, (laughs) we're farmers and we're barely thriving here. Yeah. Um, we have potatoes every day. That's what we eat. Yeah. And the capitals over there, just complete opposite. And so it, it does just show very, like you said, obviously, or they soften the edges, um, things that happen in war and the rights that get taken away, how people respond to that. And pack, packaging it in something young adult was fascinating because I thought that that's why I, I thought that she ended the series correctly, but it it made people upset because it was uncomfortable. Oh, it's yeah. so uncomfortable, especially when you're talking about children. And I'm like, yeah, children are in war yeah. and it's uncomfortable. It's happening now. Like, it's very uncomfortable. It's, it's an, I'm just like looking away is, is sometimes an excuse to prioritize comfort. Mm-hmm. And I think fiction, what literature can do is it can create a safe container to explore things that are very real things that are happening. And, um, and I, I think that that's probably part of why you and I are so drawn to stories Mm -hmm. is because they're such a great vehicle for conversation about things that are really important. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, Yeah. I loved the hunger game, hunger games, like thought it was great. I, I, it was a really good movie adaption in my mind. So I didn't have hardly any issues with anything other than, you know, I don't know why I had, I struggled a smidge with like PETA. He was not buff enough. It wasn't like how I imagined him. No, in the books, he definitely is much more of a, like a a presence. Yeah. Um, like but, I know he's the, the boy with the bread, but he didn't need to be like so passive. Or He wasn't passive. What's the word I'm looking for? It just, yeah. I don't know. There's just something there where I was like, eh, casting wise, that was just a little yeah. off for me. Even like, I, I think just like for me, it might've been a talent thing. I hope that, the, the actors never listen to this podcast. I was like, I felt like Jennifer Lawrence was more talented than both of her male counterparts. I would agree with that. Yeah. I just think she's a more talented actress. So I don't know why this just popped up, but I just wanted to say this and I'll be on record that I feel like the casting in Harry Potter, specifically for all the like professors, was perfection. Aces. Perfect. Every one of those. I was like, perfect. So forgot to mention I know. That. I just love that like they rolled up into the UK and they're like, we're going to need every A-lister actor and like in this film. Yeah. And they're all like, agreed. <laughs> it was perfect. Like when I was like, Snape, Trelawney. Dolores. A- um, yeah, Dolores. Oh, Trelawney was so good. I know. We so have good. to stop going back to Harry Potter. Gilderoy. I was just like, side note, that was perfectly cast. 
Um, he cast himself, didn't he? Or he was the director. Yeah. So I guess he's not the head of casting. That's a fun story, too. Fantastic. So, yeah, Hunger Games, that was a good one. If we want to talk about Divergent for like a hot second, yes. I didn't even finish the last two films. I it, didn't either. They were they got bad. So I was like, that was not a great film adaption, I feel like. A book to film adaption. But the I, book series also kind of tanked. It kind of did. Okay, I loved book one and yes. I loved movie one. And I felt like that was the, it's, t- it's difficult when your series kind of peaks a little bit around one. Yeah. But I still, I enjoyed the books a lot. And I know a lot of people don't love the fourth book, but I like stakes. And so I like, the thing I loved is I thought it was really brave of Veronica the author to kill a protagonist Mm. because I think that that used to happen more in literature and then we became a little bit soft and so I like that the stakes are really high Mm. however I think the complaint was that she didn't die for a good enough reason that's how it felt and I think that there's a valid argument there and so I think that's why a lot of people skip the last films is because I think they tried to change it to kind of address that and I never saw the last ones and so, because I was just like, if the books had ended around, is it there's four in the series or there's three? There's three. If it had yes. been like book one and two, I'm all yay. Um, I really enjoyed movies one and two. Whatever one Kate Winslet is in, I liked her. She's like one of the main characters. So she's in both. Yes, but. Because she's the, the one where that's like on her hand. Oh, like, you know, it's been a minute. Yeah. So I'm like, I, there were moments I really loved from. Yeah all of the films that I saw and all of the books. Mm. Um, I just think writing a series is not an easy thing. So people like to be critics, but they don't step into the arena and try. So, you know what I mean? You're all, I'll give it grace. I will. The last book was, I don't know, hot trash for Kelly, me. I was like, it was shit. <laughs> it was hot garbage trash for me. So not my favorite, but it, I appreciated the series. And I thought it was very fascinating to have them break into these different, you know, factions. I know. And that was fun at the time. We, again, did this for book club. We, everyone got, you know, sorted into their faction and had their tattoos on them. Like, it was an incredible series to bring to life. Yeah. It was really fun in that way. It's just the last book was tricky because it really felt like it was all for naught. Yeah. It had that feeling to it where I was like, well, what was the point? Yeah. But I'm so glad that you were able to eke out some point in it. And I got something <laughs> from it. I, do I feel best. better now. I know. And I wonder if I read it now how it'd feel. But you know yeah, how it is when you first read. And I was so young. <laughs> I was, <laughs> okay. Once upon a time. I'm all, should we pivot into romance? I want to. Let's Yay! talk about okay. it. We talked about a lot of dark and heavy things. No. Romance. We're going to talk about The Hating Game. I threw this one on the list because... I watched it at least once a year, maybe like two or three times. I'll set up the premise. It is two rival. The book is a attorney, like there. It's a a law office, and there's two like junior partner slash assistants that are trying to like make it to like this senior partner thing. Like it's a competition. Yeah. So it's a enemies to lovers. My favorite trope, literally it's the ever. Best the best trope it really is um enemies to lovers and uh they call it the hating game because they are like competitive and there's so much banter and obviously there's like supply closet <laughs> like angry rendezvous is in such when they finally get to that point the elevator scene oh like there's always like a good romance elevator scene i, I know oh, so in the move or in the book it's a law firm yeah and i feel like the sex scenes are a little bit better in the book 
I would agree. But then in the movie, it was perfectly cast mm. and it's a a publishing house and the two publishers are merged together and the two presidents stay on and their secretaries stay, like yeah. their assistants stay on. And they just stare at each other all day angrily typing and like angrily printing. Yeah. And it's like a grumpy sunshine. Yeah. Because like he's, he's like Mr. OCD. Yes. Like pristine always like right. perfectly you know put together everything's like in its place every pencil and she's like the opposite she's like obviously put together but she's got lots of color on her side yes. and things are a little bit more messy and she's a little more chaotic compared to him and she is just like this cute little like five foot well who's the actress again it's lucy, uh, lucy hale. hale yeah lucy hale and she's beautiful she's perfect and just this cute little boop compared to isn't it um oh the actor isn't it like Jace from Mortal Instrument? Is that the actor? No. What's no. He? No, that's a different one. Yes, I know what you're thinking of. No, this this kid, that's the first time I'd seen him. He's been in a couple other things. Okay. I think like period pieces um, or like historical fiction. But um, I think I'll have to look that up. He is just like tall, dark brown hair. Yes. Broody. Perfect jawline, obviously. It's like they're just like <laughs> such tropes. And it was just a delight. It's like, and it's Christmassy. It happens around Christmas. They have to, you know, there's like the the forced dating, the fake dating yeah. trope, just one bed trope. I'm like, there's so many good, like, just tropes in there. So it kind of reminds me of that Anyone But You that just came out, mm. where it's like a lot of the critics were having issues with it in saying that, like, it's just, like, so stereotypical rom-com. And I'm all, why did you go? <laughs> like, that's like going and being like, the spaghetti is just like so tomatoey. I'm all, that's the point. Like, that's what it is. That's what it is. And so I'm like, that's how I feel about Hating Game. Is I'm all, it's a great recommendation if you're just wanting something a little escapist. Um, I have seen the movie. I've only seen it once, but I'm like, good point to remind me about it. I need to put that on my rotation list of things to watch every year because it is just like this delicious little show. Yeah, um, it's like slightly better than a Hallmark in acting. Yes. Actually, the acting was pretty cute. It's, yeah. I think Lucy L is a great actress and yeah. she's like right in her like genius. Um, so the acting was less cheesy than a Hallmark, but I will say more spicy than a Hallmark. So it's kind of just that little elevated. Yeah. Like experience around the holidays. It's a pretty good adaption. I think you just miss yeah. some of the, you know, the time that passes and like more of the tension in a book. Yes. And when they have to kind of cram it into a, a movie, but both are delightful. Totally. I know. I'm like still in the genre of, yes. of romance. This will probably take up the rest of our time. I feel like. Let's do it. We're going to dive into Bridgerton. Wow. Dun, dun. <laughs> well, this came out at the perfect time for people because it was during COVID. Yep. And everyone was watching anything on TV, right? Like I watched some weird stuff during that time, but I would normally- It was a dark time. <laughs> would not watch the one thing i refused to watch that everyone was watching was the what was the tiger, tiger king tiger king i, I was like i refuse. <laughs> i watched tiger king how was it <laughs> it was like if you ever saw a movie poster for tiger king oh, i feel like you would know what tiger king was like <laughs> it was just the movie poster for 30 to 50 minutes i can't oh, even remember gosh. the episodes were a fever dream <laughs> But then you got into like the whole side story of like his competitor. Like you start to meet the competitors. Oh man! And like the underground pet a tiger culture, which by the way is just totally unethical, from my opinion. Yeah. But um, 
yeah, there's like his competitors. He's like this one competitor. I think he's like in Florida, clearly. And <laughs> and he's got like a harem, not of tigers, but like of partners who like run his tiger show. And there's like rules around how these women should dress and act. And then there's another one where it's this woman who like, uh, you probably saw this on the news where like she was accused of murdering her husband and feeding him to a tiger. And like yes. he really feeds that like storyline. Uh, and then she like, get so many donations for her tigers like she's very business successful more than he is and so he's like jealous of her business kelly i was like we don't have to- what did COVID do to us <laughs> it did something dark <laughs> so yeah. i diverged from tiger king but i'm glad that you had the moral fortitude to not to- dive in <laughs> but it was perfect circumstance right so bridgerton comes out and And I'm not saying that we loved it because it was all we had to watch. I was like, this was incredible. It was like so good on top of feeling like we were out of things to watch. But it dropped during that time. So I feel like it got a lot of exposure. Yes. Um, And I didn't, at the time I had never heard of the book series. Yeah, it was a bit niche. Like it's Regency romance, uh, like like three spice level. Yeah. Two to three spice level. The movie's, the uh, or the the TV. the TV series is more spicy than the books. Mm. Um, That's kind of like Outlander, actually. Yes, I would say the same. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, we got to add Outlander to the list <laughs> and the Giver. We have a list that we are not going to get through today. We have only gone through like one tenth. <laughs> I was like, we love books to movies. Okay, Bridgerton. I think that this is just my humble opinion. I think that the series was elevated from the books. I think that the books are a little bit older and they just like do the thing that romance books do and are mm, great at. Yeah. But the TV series really brought in this heightened drama that I think Shonda is so good at. Yeah. Shonda Rhimes, who yeah. directed it. And she did ER and... Oh, yeah. And she's done like Grey's Anatomy. Grey's, yeah. That, it was it's Grey's, Grey's Anatomy. Anatomy. Yeah, Grey's Anatomy. There's a ton of... And Scandal. Like she's got tons yes. and tons. And I always call her like she knows how to create catnip for TV. Yeah. She's like crack cocaine tv yeah where you just like can't stop wanting to consume i was like yes maybe crack cocaine's a little dark (laughs) (laughs) she knows how to get people addicted yeah regardless to you what you know what she's producing yes and i felt like this was like her perfect culmination of everything that she's done yes um because bridgerton was so fun i've never met someone who didn't I mean, I'm sure they exist, but I haven't met someone who hasn't enjoyed it to some degree. Some people are a little uncomfortable with the spice level. So in season one with Daphne's story, it is it is just a different take on yes. a marriage and what that can look like. Her not knowing how sex works at all. And her mother did not prepare her at all. I'm like, I don't know, growing up conservative, I feel like that's a more common story among like the yes. people we know. But to see that in a romance uh, TV series was very interesting and unique. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, like, I, I okay. So I thoroughly enjoyed it. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I'm just saying I can see how some people would feel it uncomfortable if that makes them uncomfortable. Yeah. Here's the thing that I loved about Bridgerton is I felt like it delivered on the drama and the sex that everybody wanted, and it was visually just like so yeah, like delicious. Mm-hmm. It's like these colors and the costuming and. And like their hair is always like the worst. I'm like, it's the worst period in history for women's hair, but it's like epic. Like yeah. it's still done, except for the queen's hair. Her hair is epic. I like love very Marie Antoinette. I, I loved what they did with the wardrobe. 
I know. And um, and like the, each family kind of had a color palette, yes. which I thought was super clever. And um, and I they've talked about that right with uh, oh, Penelope. Yes. The colors that she's like allowed to wear, it seems like. Well, in the book, she's only allowed to wear like yellows. Like it's yeah. a jo- it's an ongoing joke in the books that she's always made to dress in like citrus colors. Yes. <laughs> like she's like, yellow doesn't work for my complexion. <laughs> um, I'm so I did you like season one or two better and why? Oh, two, hands down. I personally just yeah. like I liked season one and I was like, that was delightful. You know, just watched like, it like four times. So I'm like, yeah. At least. And I love Regency romance. So adding in the like upping the romance level i was just like i am so happy yes this is amazing like pride and prejudice yeah like but with spice (laughs) oh my gosh it was like everything i didn't know i needed in my life it like filled some empty hole that i had i was just like this is what i've been waiting for (laughs) and so and then season two came out and i had really high expectations right and it like blew season one out of the water for me yes i loved antony's Anthony and Kate, I, oh. I know, I just identified more with them as yes. characters. Um, and I think that I love season one. I would watch it any day. Yes. I, I just personally also was more like compelled by season two. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do, several of our friends have said that they like didn't like season two nearly as much as one. So it's all personal preference. Yeah. Um, Anthony's story and that like responsibility feeling that him and Kate felt yeah. for like caring things and just related to. Yeah. And um and just like the spice was so their tension good. was incredible. Off the charts. And I think he's gay. Yes, or he, he is. Is he bisexual or gay? I guess it's like oh, whatever. That's he a wants. good point. I'm trying to remember now. But like he, you know, he's playing a heterosexual man yes. in the series. He's playing a very masculine heterosexual yes. man. I I had no clue that he was either you no. know, bisexual or gay until later. And then I'm like, wow, that's incredible acting. Like Yeah, I think it's just I think that him and Kate because you know, like when it comes to uh, straight men or gay men playing the opposite, I just feel like one thing that's been really beautiful to witness in our, like, since from the time we were children till now, is it's just been this cultural shift in just accepting the genius of actors and the role that they're playing um, when it comes to sexual orientation. Because I think there's quite a few older actors who lied for a long time about or just kept to themselves kept it private their sexual orientation so that they continue to be typecast because that's their job and it's what they love um and i just have loved that shift in cultural thinking that has opened up opportunity for actors to be openly true to themselves and to play these characters that you know are not their same orientation Mm -hmm. Because we allow them space and all these other things to play like, of course, they're not like a a duke from the Regency period, but we allow them to go, like we allow ourselves to go on that journey with them and like believe it, suspend reality for it. Mm -hmm. And it's like, why can't we do that with other things about them? Mm. And so, yeah, I just, I thought that the actor who played Anthony, he's been in several things since his career kind of just like, it was a little bump. Yeah. And just like, he was incredible in it. Yeah. Like the intensity that he showed up in, the sexual tension between him and um oh, her name just Ashley, I think might be her name. I'm not like the actress's name. Yeah, I can't remember her name. I actually don't know. Okay, so she was in sex education and she played oh. a high schooler in that. And it was I loved sex education. It's very like dark and edgy, mm. uh, but hilarious. Like that was one of it was one of my COVID addictions. <laughs> um, but 
they just did such a good job together. Mm-hmm. Like, oh man. I know. And, and the best scenes weren't even the sex scenes. It was the sexual tension. It was the scene. tension. Oh yeah. Those were like you could cut them with a knife. It was so thick. I loved it. Like the, I know. the bee moment, which is obviously like a huge point in the book series yes. as well. Like it's got the bees on it for a reason. And uh, with his, the story with his father and then, the, you know, when the bee stings her and he's just freaking out and he has like a full panic attack and and she grabs his hand and sticks it to her chest and she's like, just breathe with me. I'm fine. You know, and then I'm all, oh, the energy has shifted. <laughs> I was like, things have changed. Oh, yes. Not oh, no. But I was like, and just like they had so many moments like that where it's just like those little. Like the moment when she's like, because you vex me. And mm-hmm. he was like. There is nowhere you could go that is far enough away. Like when she's For like, I do not want you. Yeah. He was like, you cannot fix this by yeah. leaving, you know? And I was just like, this is amazing. <laughs> I loved it so much. Oh my gosh. Well, what did we do? We got through like five. Ish. <laughs> I'm like next time on books to movies. Oh, we have so many good ones though. Wow. Oh, I know. Just like, obviously we have to talk about Jurassic Park, The Martian, Pride and Prejudice. The Hobbit is on... I was fascinated when I learned about The Hobbit is on so many people's worst movie adoption list and best movie adoption list. It's oh those very divisive. So I'm like, uh, we will end on a cliffhanger. <laughs> I liked The Hobbit trilogy movies better than Lord of the Rings movies. I like mm. cried through the entire two hour battle scene of the final movie. <laughs> I don't know why. It unlocks something from it the unlocks past something. life. I'm all, we'll talk about that. Let's explore that on the next episode. So 100%. yeah, that was part one of our book to movie adoptions and all of our wandering thoughts on it. Thank you so much for listening to Lit Dry Podcast. Please make sure to rate and review us so that we can keep recording these episodes. And like a good book, recommend us to your friends. <laughs>